Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. How are you doing, traders? Thank you for tuning in here for episode 234. We are about to venture into new territory now. For the first time on CWT, I'm speaking with a trader of prediction markets. If you're oblivious to what a prediction market is, just as I was only a few weeks ago, then I'll try to summarize it like this. So prediction markets are exchange traded markets created for the purpose of trading contracts on the outcome of unknown future events. The prices of these contracts change as the market deems an event more or less likely to happen over time. If that was a bit confusing, don't worry, it will all make sense very shortly as the conversation gets underway with today's guest, Doma. Yes, that is an online alias. He has, understandably, requested that I keep his identity anonymous. While prediction markets are still very nascent, Doma has been participating in these markets for quite some time and has witnessed firsthand the recent rise in popularity. While political events are his specialty, as you will hear, Doma will also trade many unusual events too. I'll give you an example. The outcome of Britney Spears' conservatorship, and another one, the Suez Canal obstruction. All in all, he currently nets PL of several hundred thousand dollars a year from doing this. Through this episode, we cover the mechanics of how prediction markets function an outline of Doma's research process and how he garners an information edge, plus making the actual trade, pricing, bet sizing, and structuring positions. Now, just before we jump to the interview, afterwards, Doma sent me an email with a few additional comments. So in our chat, he speaks about his stint trading stocks, and he felt that it perhaps might have come across as being a little more rosy than it actually was. If you are interested, I've included these comments in the show notes. They can be found at chatwithtraders.com slash 234. Anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, It certainly opened my eyes to something new. 
Hope you like it also. Here is Doma. You were just trading on something. There was an event 15 minutes ago, right? Well, yes and no. So I, I was thinking maybe there were going to be exit polls coming out for Pennsylvania, but that didn't happen. So I'm, I'm trading right now. There's a Pennsylvania GOP primary race, which is kind of like a proxy race be- for the future of the Republican Party between like Trumpism and non-Trumpism. And uh, yeah, I was, I'm paying attention to that right now. Okay. And I know that you are uh, quite active on Polymarket, which I understand is one of the kind of crypto prediction markets or crypto exchanges yep. out there. Yep. Did you happen to get tangled up in the, the crypto bloodshed this past week? <laughs> no, because most of my currency is dollar denominated like USDC and not the one that crashed. Okay. Yeah. That's what I wasn't sure about. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. How lucky. (laughs) Yeah. Crazy. So from what I understand, you packed in your nine to five in 2007. Yeah. It would have been right around May of 2007. So right around now. Yeah. Okay. So what were you doing once you, once you left? Well, so I was already sort of betting on the side as well as playing poker in fact, you know, the last few months of my job, I had two phones when I was going into work, you know, and this guy that's been on the job for two years, you know, having two phones is a little bit weird. So <laughs> I was already betting on the side pretty heavily. I was playing a lot of poker at night and I was kind of like, well, it's now or never. Let's try it out. The worst that can happen, I'll get a job in another year or two. Okay. So you were playing poker. Was that online or you were going to actual meetups at the casino? Yeah, or? that was like the heyday of online poker. For anyone that remembers it, party poker, uh, it was called like the moneymaker effect. Like all these people signed up for online poker. The government hadn't uh, cracked down on it yet. And so it was pretty easy games. If, if, if you knew some math and you were willing to take a little bit of risk, um, it wasn't too hard to beat poker at that point. Okay. So what kind of success did you have with that? early on? Well, earliest on, I lost a hundred bucks almost immediately. I, I, I deposited a hundred bucks that my grandma had given me for graduation. And within like an hour it was gone. But, you know, I had kind of seen how it worked and, and I thought I could beat it. So I deposited another hundred bucks and I ran that into a couple thousand within, you know, a couple weeks, you know, I wasn't playing high stakes. I'm, I was a recent college graduate at that point so right okay and then i believe that that kind of evolved into other things uh soon after like um yeah so my first like real bet on like a prediction market type bet was on a sports book and i bet on the movie uh crash to win best picture which was a big upset over uh brokeback mountain i think it was like seven to one odds and i put like 10 bucks on it and I won 70 bucks and I thought I was a genius. I thought I was rich and that kind of, you know, kicked it all off. <laughs> and was that a bet you placed that wouldn't have been a prediction market as such, would it? It would have just right. been with a, yeah. um, like a bookie. A yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and so why did you make that bet? Was it just, uh, because it had a seven to one payout? Yeah, I think I had read Roger Ebert say that he liked that film. And so I was like, well, you know, seven to one worth, worth a shot. Okay. 
And then so after I won that, I started researching this a little more. I was like, well, this is fun. You know, I don't have to bet on, you know, sports necessarily. Um, and then I found a site called Intrade, which is now defunct. But that was like the first kind of prediction market. And then I started to delve into politics as well as movies. Okay. So you started betting on politics. And I think you also traded stocks at one point too. Yeah. So as I said, Intrade went defunct. That was like right after the 2012 election. And so Intrade pulled out of the U.S., and I was kind of at a decision tree. Do I move out of the U.S. to continue this career or do I try something else? And and I gave stocks a go and I kind of applied the same principles that I was using in betting to stocks at that point. And how did that work out for you? I worked out. It worked out pretty well. So I, I, I took like 35,000, which I thought was like a a decent amount of money. Bear in mind, I'm trading my own funds. So I took 35,000, uh, which I thought was a decent chunk. And then I ran it up to like 200,000 or so within a year. So, I mean, I felt, I felt pretty good about myself, but I also was kind of still jonesing to do prediction markets again, because stocks are a little bit too unpredictable to me. Like you can be correct on a stock and the stock still goes down a little bit. Whereas that's not really the case in in prediction markets. Thirty five thousand to two hundred grand in a year or so. I mean, that's really impressive. Um, was that like, you know, a couple big trades that you made most of that money, or was it kind of consistent, consistently being right? So I was doing a lot of research on shorted stocks and trying to get leverage on a crowded trade that was wrong on the short side. So in other words, you know, if a bunch of people are in a short and they're wrong for whatever reason, the stock can go up pretty quickly. Um, and so you could bet on it with both options and then holding the equity as well. Okay. So you were trying to anticipate short squeezes basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was kind of looking for people that had shorted stocks for the wrong reason, basically. Do you yeah. recall what any of those uh, crowded shorts were? I, one of them was SAFM, which I'm not sure if it still exists, but it was a uh, it's a chicken company. And I had just done a bunch of research. You know, chick, chicken companies are very simple. It's like inputs, which is like corn and like soybeans, and then outputs. So it was it was very um, straightforward what their business was, and you can kind of research all the inputs and research the outputs and figure out that the Shorts didn't quite have it right on the, on why they were shorting it. This is really interesting because I mean, anyone else who had gone, had a $35,000 account, run it up to 200K, I mean, would most people be pretty happy with that and feel like that they were kind of onto something there. Um, but for you, it sounds like you were still, you weren't so convinced. You were more like you would rather be in the prediction markets. Yeah, it's just, it, it's really what I love to do because a prediction market is different than like an equity in a stock. Um, a prediction market is zero to 100, either it's yes or no, and then it's usually time-based. And then almost certainly it will expire based on, you know, the correct expiration of, of whatever the event was. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. So, I mean, how would you make a case... Actually, let's let's save that and 
we should probably talk more about what prediction markets actually are because, I mean, this is only something that's sort of come across my desk recently and I'm sure for many people listening, this is probably going to be the first time they're hearing about it or um, at least hearing a bit more about it beyond the surface. So let me just ask you straight out, what are prediction markets? Like imagine someone's never heard of it. Yeah. So it would basically be asking quote unquote important questions, questions that were in the news. Um, so for instance, right now, everybody is interested. Is there going to be a recession? So the market could say by the end of 2022, is the U S going to experience a recession, which would be two negative GDP quarters. And then I think right now that's that you know, like 30 cents or something like that. So you could either buy yes for 30 cents and you would get a 70 cent payoff, or you could bet the other way. You could say, well, I think this is unlikely and that would cost you 70 cents and your potential profit would be 30 cents. Okay. And when you, when you place this bet for 30 cents, what are you buying? Like you're not buying a stock or you're not buying a futures contract or an option. Right. Like, what, what do you call that? Right. So, well, I mean, you, you could call it a number of things. I would call it probably a contract. Um, prediction markets are zero sum. So you're almost always betting against somebody else who thinks the exact opposite of you. So whenever I buy, let's say, one share at 30 cents, you're, you're consequently buying one share at 70 cents. So our shares are always going to match. So there's always going to be somebody that has the exact opposite view as me somewhere else. Right. So that's kind of the key thing with these prediction markets, right? Is that the counterpart to your trade or your bet is another trader. It's not, you're not trading against a, a bookmaker. Exactly. So it's mano a mano. Okay. And who are the participants that are mostly involved in these markets? Like, is it just a lot of, uh, you know, individual punters or is there are these markets starting to attract, you know, some more kind of professional outfits? I think it's still so nascent that it's mostly just individuals. And it's usually people that come from a similar background as me, which would be finance or poker or sports betting or, you know, things along those lines. People that are interested in politics, people that are interested in predicting, you know, economic outcomes, um, things along those lines. And would you say that the average participant is like quite savvy? Like they're quite, um, you know, that they research their bets quite well. Like obviously you are kind of a, an extreme case of this. Um, but like if you look at like obviously sports betting is a huge thing here in Australia and a lot of the people who participate in that, I don't want to sound like a dickhead here, but um, – you know, a lot of them are just purely punters. <laughs> like, you know, they'll, they'll bet on their favorite football team or something or other. Would you say that there's a lot of unsophisticated participants in these markets or most of them are quite savvy? I would say it depends entirely on the type of market. So if you look at, for instance, um, the presidential elections, those will attract so many types of bettors, you know, people that really know what's going on, people that just want to bet on the person that they like. And then you can compare that to something that's like super granular, like, um, will this bill pass Congress by June? And you're really up against people that know Congress pretty well. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. 
do you, so with that being said, do you have um, kind of a preference for which one you'd rather, you know, which prediction or which event you would rather be involved with or you're not too concerned? I mean, not really. I do enjoy the bigger markets just because you can bet more. You're against more casual people. The market will probably move a little bit slower to new information. Whereas, you know, a very granular market with people that are, that really know what's going on. If there's a new piece of information, the market will react very quickly to that. Mm. And when you say the market will react quickly to that, what does that mean? Like the, I guess what I'm trying to ask you here is how does the price change over time? Right. So let me, let me think of a market. So for instance, um, there was recently a market, uh, latter half of last year on who Biden would pick to be Fed chair. And it was, you know, is he going to renominate Jerome Powell or is he going to go in a different direction, perhaps a more liberal direction with, uh, I think her name was Lyle Brainerd. And then, or is it going to be some, you know, dark horse candidate? And, you know, you're following along, you, 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 the prices are what they are. And then let's say the wall street journal reporter is like, well, I've heard, you know, Lyle Brainerd is kind of down a little bit. Well, then all of a sudden, Jerome Powell will probably move up, let's say, 10 cents. And so that'll happen very quickly. Whereas if it's like a a bigger market, like let's say Biden versus Trump in 2020, if a new piece of information comes across, you know, the wire, uh, the market would be so dense and so deep and so many people would be betting it that a 10 cent move may take a few hours. So when these events Am I using the right term there, event? Yeah, events, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, questions, yeah, events, yeah. Yeah, right. So when uh, an event or a question is actually, one of these exchanges actually lists it initially, how is it priced? Like, does it come on at 50 cents? Uh, so the, the order book is usually initially empty and people will find the price pretty quickly. And so that's one, one aspect of a prediction market is, you know, if you get in very early, you can end up getting a good price because people are still trying to figure out what this is worth. Uh, of course. Okay. So it's just like basically how a stock would IPO. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the IPO would be, you know, more range bound, but yeah, similar concept. Are you looking to get involved at those early stages or do you kind of wait for to see how it, how it trades. I mean, yeah, if it, if it's something that I already know a lot about, then I'm eager to get involved as soon as possible. Yeah. Now I want to just, um, hone in a little bit on the time aspect. So is there always an expiry or an end date to all of these, um, contracts or these events? Um, almost always, unless, you know, somebody like, for instance, who is going to be the next Fed chair? I don't think that had an expiration date just because, you know, somebody was going to be picked eventually. So I would say 95% of them have an end date. Um, 5% of them are kind of open-ended, but it's usually something that is going to happen anyway. And what happens at the end, like when these expire? Well, so almost always it'll happen before the end date. Usually if you reach the end date, so for instance, will this bill pass by July 31st? Um, if you reach July 31st and it hasn't passed, 
then it's probably going to expire as no. So as you get closer to July 31st and this bill hasn't passed yet, you know, it's going to drift towards zero. I noticed on uh, Kaoshi, which I believe is one of the exchanges you're active on, there's uh, some pretty obscure kind of uh, events you can bet on. And one of those was something to the extent of, will NASA land a man on the moon by 2025? So... With some of these kind of long-dated events, I presume that, I mean, first of all, I don't even know if that would be something that you'd participate in that's something that far out. But if it was, is your kind of approach to how you'd trade these to to hold to expiry or are you looking to, you know, um, sell out sooner if, um, if price starts to move in your favor enough? Right. So I think... You know, if I were trading that, and I don't, I've, I've no, I, I think it's actually very unlikely because you know NASA has kind of punted that. But 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 let's say it was still up in the air, and let's say it was like a twenty percent chance in my mind, and so I would be looking at buying below twenty cents, and if new news came in that took me above twenty or took me below twenty, then I would trade based on that. But I wouldn't just trade just to trade. So. I would kind of have a price of what it's worth in my mind. And then if the price on the exchange moved, then I would trade, you know, based upon my own price, if that makes sense. So, I mean, I wasn't specifically asking you about this NASA um, right, event, right. but just like for some of these ones where the outcome of the event is like a couple years down the road. Right. Um, yeah, I, not- wouldn't, I wouldn't be afraid to bet on that if I, if I thought I had an edge. Okay, yeah. but you wouldn't necessarily be trying to hold it for the next few years. I mean, it, it just, it just depends. I would have a set price of what it is worth. And then if it fluctuated off of that, then I would trade. Okay, cool. Now, can you just speak a bit about what, uh, venues you actually trade on? Like, um, where can you bet on prediction markets? Yeah. So the big one that has kind of, you know, come to the fore a little bit is Kalshi, as you mentioned, um, for the U.S. people, there's also Predict It, which is focused solely on uh, politics. Uh, there's Polymarket, which is a crypto-based site. And then I also do like kind of side bets with people um, on Twitter and stuff like that. <laughs> okay. How does that yeah. work? <laughs> I mean, you, fi- you find people that you mutually trust. And if you don't mutually trust them, then you find somebody that you know can hold the money for you. And then you bet on stuff. So I, I I had a pretty big bet with some like random high profile Twitter lawyer on the 2020 election and some bookie in Las Vegas held the money for us. <laughs> that's uh that's fascinating. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh, it's, oh, it's a big thing. Yeah. It's a big thing. Okay. So how come you trade on these three different venues? Like, do they just have different events on each one or is each event kind of got different nuances to it that you prefer over the other or what's the idea there? Right. So Kalshi just launched. So it's kind of like a new site and they're trying to grow. And in fact, they got regulatory approval from the U S. So, you know, if I had to anticipate what I'd be doing like three years from now, you know, it's probably 75% trading on Kalshi. Um, so the, the sites have kind of come online as it's becoming, you know, the, the gray area of legality is kind of fading away a little bit. Uh, the U.S. is embracing, you know, prediction markets a bit more than they have in the past. And so I just 
you know, the, the sites come online as, as they're able to. Okay. And so you've got these sites like predict it. And I, I had a quick look at the, the website. I think it's mostly a politics thing, right? It, yeah, it's all politics. Yeah. Does uh Cowshi or Polymarket, do they do any politics based events? Kalshi cannot do elections right now, so they can't do like who's going to win the 2024 race yet. I, I, I think they've talked about trying to integrate that into the site eventually, but they can do like political tangential stuff like who's going to be the next Supreme Court nominee, which was a big market, um, who's going to be the next Fed chair, as I mentioned, so that they can do stuff that's like, you know, adjacent to politics. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. So as you're kind of like a, an OG in these markets, um, you've been around a, a long time doing this. What have you seen? Like, what have you witnessed in the way of market growth, like levels of participation? Is it kind of exploded in recent years or it's just sort of gradually ticking up like what have you observed there yeah so i would say generally speaking in the u.s betting has become much more popular because they kind of i think the supreme court knocked it down a few years ago and so state by state it's expanding so along with that you know prediction markets have kind of grown and grown because people are more accustomed to betting on stuff within the u.s that is so yeah, I mean, it's a growing space for sure. Okay, so it's been noticeable for you. Um, yeah, for sure, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's a bit like kind of how the, um, the 2020 like market crash and coronavirus and all that, there was a big uptick in retail participation in markets. I wonder if it's kind of like similar sort of effect in, in your markets there. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And what has that meant for you? Um, like I know like us as, uh, equity traders, like there was, um, you know, some of the moves were obviously a lot more irrational stocks would run further than you thought they should. And like, what is this, um, the greater levels of participation, what's that meant for you? Like, has there been, have you had the ability to place larger bets because of this or, um, have more markets come up? Like what's been the knock on effect for you personally? Yeah, I would say all of the above. I, you know, the the simple answer is that liquidity has increased, and you know that's a constant challenge with somebody who does prediction markets for a living. Is you know, is there enough liquidity in order for me to make enough money? And you know, it has increased steadily. Um, and yes, I do remember seeing a bump um, in 2020, and also you know the U.S. government sent out pretty large checks to almost everyone in America. So you saw bumps along with that as well. 
Perhaps a question I should have asked you a little bit earlier, but um, you know, I'd like to start getting into more about your actual research process and and more kind of specifics around your strategy. But just before we do, when I'd spoken to you beforehand, you said something that was quite interesting, and it was like, you know, for many years this was kind of like you would collect a decent income from doing so, um, but there was kind of a point, or you know. In more recent years, it's you've really leveled up. Um, it's gone from being a decent income to you know a serious income. What's kind of powered that transition? I would just you know get back to what we just said, which is the popularity of prediction markets has increased because betting in general in the U.S. has become more accepted, I guess. Um, and so people are not as averse to joining sites like this and putting a little bit of money down and trying to predict stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I would say around 2020, early 2020, um, my income really leveled up. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't, you didn't really change anything you were doing so much. It was more just, uh, there was the capacity to do more size. I, I do think I have changed a little bit. One thing, that I've noticed is that my win rates are really high. And in fact, I was looking at it and I think they're too high. And the reason I say that is because <laughs> I've never heard someone say that before. <laughs> well, well, but, but they are because, you know, that means I'm not taking enough risks is what, is what that was telling me because I should be losing a little bit more and I should be winning a lot more. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. I, yeah. I know what you're I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. So I think I had a little bit of a philosophical shift where I was not quite as cautious as I used to be, you know, because if if I saw profits in a market, I was like, okay, yeah, let's just let's just take some money off the table here. Whereas now, you know, I have a much larger bankroll and I'm like, well, you know, I think the odds are in my favor. Let's just let it let's just let it ride on this thing. Yeah. So just in case anyone listening didn't quite understand why you think your win rate's too high. Um, let me just try and break that down. So, um, you know, when you look at trend following traders, um, you know, I think some of them like a good win rate can be 30%. And that's because, you know, they have few winners. Uh, but when they do win, they win really big. Um, and if you look at someone like a scalper, they generally have a high win rate uh, because they take profits so quickly and, um, you know, try to lose as less as possible. So that's basically what you're getting at there, isn't it? Like you weren't allowing profitable bets to really run to their full potential. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. We're going to, we're going to dissect this a little bit. So how do you decide what markets and predictions to bet on? Well, I mean, that's the great thing about prediction markets is you get to decide. like you can, you can sift through the markets. You can research it before you ever place a bet. And, you know, you can figure out if the, if the pricing is wrong or the pricing is right. You know, the, my best friend is people that think, you know, efficient market hypothesis is a real thing. So a lot of people look at these markets and they're like, okay, it's at 60 cents. It must be worth 60 cents. Whereas my whole philosophy is it's at 60 cents. This is probably wrong. Which direction is it wrong in? So if you pull up one of these uh, exchanges, there's like... I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of different events that you can trade on. Like, how do you, where do you even begin though? Like, how do you start to filter through 
obviously you can't research all of them. I mean, I guess it's like, you know, a, a stock trader or, uh, you know, there's, there's thousands of different stocks they could trade. How do they filter down which ones they're going to actually put money on? Yeah. How, what's your kind of filtering process? Right. So I, I would probably first filter it by, you know, where I have a baseline of knowledge. So in politics or in movies. So I, I would probably first be drawn to where I already have expertise. The second thing that I would be drawn to is, you know, liquidity. How popular is this market? Let me let me give you an example. Uh, there was that ship stuck in the Suez Canal. When was it? Like March of 2021. And it kind of like fascinated the world. You know, it was like the top news story. It brought global trade to a to a halt. And there was a prediction market on when it would um, be, you know, dislodged. And everybody was predicting it because it was, you know, in the news and it was kind of unpredictable and it was fun. And, you know, so I had no knowledge of ships, but I was trading that quite a lot. And I was trying to research ships as much as possible. I was like listening to this Dutch sea captain trying to translate Dutch to English. And, you know, so you're, you're, you're doing all these things that you have no knowledge of two days earlier to try and trade a market that has, you know, a lot of liquidity and may have people that know less than you do. Okay. So can you talk me through that bet a little bit more? Like what were you, what was your actual bet? Like the ship would be freed by a particular date or? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, I mean, this is over a year ago now, so I'm not sure I'm going to remember the exact contours of it, but let's say it was, will the ship be freed by March 31st? And then from there you can kind of research, you know, do people that know a lot about shipping think it's going to be free by March 31st? And that's a simple question with, you know, very complex answers and varying opinions. And, you know, there's going to be news articles from all over the world, possibly some in languages you can't read. Uh, what do the Egyptians think? What does, what does the company that owns the ship think? So there's all sorts of angles that you can attack this bet from to try and figure out what the, or to try to approximate what the correct answer is going to be. Yeah. It sounds like a tricky one because I mean, one of the things which just sort of pops into my head is you'd want to look up, you know, previous examples of this is anything like this happened before, but I don't sure, not sure if uh, many ships have been um, stuck there previously. How did that bet play out for you? Did you, did you get it right in the end? I did. I did get it right. Although I, what I remember most about that bet is I went away from my computer for like 30 minutes and it randomly got freed like instantly. <laughs> so I cost myself a couple thousand bucks for that. But yeah, I, I more or less got it mostly correct. Okay. So why did that cost you a couple thousand dollars just because you, you walked away for a few minutes? Like what did you miss in that, in that time? What happened to the market? Yeah. So it un unexpectedly got freed. I think, I don't think they were, I, I think they were doing some random stuff. They were like, Oh, let's give it a try. Let's give it a try. And all of a sudden it just kind of dislodged. So it was not, it was not very expected. And I think the market, which was at, let's say 35 cents, all of a sudden went to a hundred cents. So the market flipped as we call it. How did you get out of that bet? Did you just, I mean, you could have still sold it later, right? Like what, what did you miss in that 30 minutes is kind of what I'm trying to understand. 
Right. So what so what I cost myself is the opportunity to buy it at 35 cents or 36 or 37 as it was being freed and as the market very quickly went from uh, 35 to 100 cents. Okay. Yeah. So so I mean these markets work in real time. So as the ship is kind of moving and that, that was the other thing there was like a GPS that was tracking like minute minute movements in the ship. So people were seeing that the ship was moving like a foot, like 2 feet. And you could see, in hindsight, you could see the price going up. You know, people were like, wait, 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 wait. it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. And so the price is going up as that's happening. So I stepped away from for that few minutes and, and I missed the whole fireworks. Understood. So you already had a position on this, on this, but you would have right. probably and I, and, took yeah, more. Yeah, and I had been trading in and, and, and accruing profits and along the way. Yeah, right, okay, that's fascinating, yeah. What are some of the strangest events you've bet on. I mean, that seems like it might be one of them, but I'm sure there's probably some events that are even more odd than that. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it runs, it totally runs the game and I would, I'd, I'd probably need to look that up and, and, and get back to this question. Okay. So just back to the filtering question. Um, what are some of the important factors? So you said that things which you maybe have a baseline of knowledge on, um, right. Although you do still float around a lot, what other kind of important factors or considerations are there? Like, is liquidity is I, I presume is a big one. Is there anything else? Yeah, I would say you know general interest level in this event. So it could be something like the ship that I know nothing about, but other people are interested in it. Well, all of a sudden, I need to learn a lot about this because people are going to be trading it. So I would say interest level um, of other people liquidity, and then my own baseline of, of expertise. Because if you think about a prediction market, you know, I was saying it's mono on mono before. So let's say it's me against you and we're trading on, let's say something in Australia. Well, I would not be as apt to trade on that because you probably know a lot more about that. Whereas if it was something in the U S you know, I would be much more apt to trade on it knowing that the other person probably is at a disadvantage. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Although with that being said, I know, you know, you, you do bet on things you don't have much knowledge on. Um, that's fair to say, right? Like I presume probably most of your bets are, are things which you um, have some sort of baseline knowledge, but you do also vary outside of that as well, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So in those cases, I mean, how do you become an expert on those topics in a short period of time, like what's your research process? I don't know, maybe if you can think of a, a recent example might be helpful, but. Yeah, so, so a big market right now is whether Finland and Sweden will join NATO by the end of the year. And, you know, that involves so many moving pieces. It involves 30 foreign governments. It involves, you know, Sweden, um, Finland, and I have no knowledge of this. You know, I, <laughs> I'm not, a, I'm not a diplomat, but you start reading articles and then you start picking up names and you start Googling names. So you, you, you just kind of start with a very baseline point of knowledge and you try to branch out as quickly as possible. And then you also have to realize on a market like this, the people you're trading against, they won't know the answer either. So you're kind of trying to spread your knowledge as far and wide as possible quicker than, than these people are. 
and you're trying to come up with what you think the correct answer is before they can kind of figure it out. What are some of the most extreme measures you've taken to acquire information? (laughs) I mean, ooh, I have volunteered for a campaign before. Um, (laughs) Let's see. I, I was betting on like Croatian elections and I was watching Croatian TV and I would take my phone and like use the Google Translate like real time pictures and like hold it up to the TV okay. and kind of try and translate what the Chiron said at the bottom of the screen, like just trying to figure it out as quickly as possible. Um, basically anything I can do within reason that would get me an edge. <laughs> With things like politics, you know, that's a subject where people have very strong personal opinions and I'm sure you probably have your own opinions um, on the subject. Is it difficult for you to ever remain objective? I would say it has become a lot less difficult. You know, when I first started, my own biases creeped into my betting quite a lot. But, you know, if you let your own biases creep into your betting, you're going to go busto pretty quickly. So you have to kind of create, you know, a Chinese wall between those two areas of your brain. (laughs) A Chinese wall, I like that analogy. A couple questions around the pricing. Okay. So a bit of a broad question, but we'll see where it goes. How do you determine what's a good price? Like, do you use some sort of model or, you know, if you see that a market is the yes side of the contract is... Uh, currently trading at about 30 cents, but you think fair values may be closer to 50. You know, how do you think through that part? Yeah. So I would say that's the toughest, that's the toughest part of the job is figuring out what the correct price is. And I almost always try and figure out, um, I call it the true price, like what the true price is. There's the market price, um, which is the price that's available to you. And then in my head, I try and figure out the true price. I would say it depends heavily on the type of market. And then it also depends on, you know, how finite of a grasp you can get on it. So for instance, if it's something that's a bit unknowable, you know, I may have my odds at 30 cents, but you know, there's some 20 cent leeway in there. In other words, it's worth anywhere from 10 cents to 50 cents. I think maybe 30 cents is a midpoint. Whereas if it's something that I'm very familiar with and that repeats quite often, like let's say an election, I would probably have a much firmer grasp on the price point. You know, I could say, okay, this is 35 cents plus or minus five cents in my mind. Do you ever have the situation where it might be like 80% of people, so it's what, 80 cents for the no side of the contract? 20 cents for the yes side, you know, in a situation like that where 80% of the market is saying, no, this event is not going to happen, but you think it does, you think you're more on the yes camp. What gives you the confidence to think the majority are wrong? Experience. And also I'm not really afraid to be wrong. Some of my best bets have been absolutely stupid. It's like, because if you're betting on a long shot, Nobody thinks it's going to happen. And even a part of you is like, this is a really dumb bet. <laughs> but, you know, if it's, a, if it's a five cent bet, which pays off at almost 20 to one, 
it only needs to happen 18, you know, it only needs to happen once out of every 19 times to be profitable, you know? If you are wrong on a trade, what does that mean? Like, do you have, uh, as a trader, uh, you know, of more traditional markets that you'd normally say you're wrong if the price moves against you by so much, is that how you operate as well? Or because you've done your research and there's a kind of an end date in sight, are you like, say you buy, uh, you take a yes contract at 30 cents and it over time it comes down to 10 cents. Are you saying, well, I'm down 20 cents on this uh, contract or this event. I'm wrong. I'm going to sell it. Or do you just continue to hold through? Right. So did that make sense? <laughs> no, no, it made sense. I, I think in your example, if I haven't sold it yet, then I'm thinking even though it has declined, I would still be ahead of the market price. So, in, so for instance, let's say it's at 30 cents and in my mind it's worth 40 cents and then it decreases to 10 cents and I'm still holding it. Well, in my mind, it's probably worth at least 10 cents. If I don't think it's worth 10 cents, you know, I'm not afraid to take the loss and, and, and dump it. Okay. So sometimes you will let the market override your kind of research and, um, initial conviction on the trade. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, yeah. I mean, I'm not perfect. I'm not, you know, a super genius. And I think, you know, one important thing is to always like, you know, kind of stay humble and not think of yourself as, as smarter than everyone else. Can you speak a little bit on how you size your bets? Yeah. So I size my bets almost exclusively related to what I think my edge would be. So I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but there's something called the Kelly criterion. Mm-hmm. Are you, have you heard of this? Yes. Yeah. So basically, um, if I think my edge is high, then I'll bet a lot of money. If I think my edge is low, then I won't, then I won't bet that much money. And then I always kind of like keep in mind, you know, what my rough bankroll is and I try and size it accordingly. So is it strictly Cali criterion or is it some sort of variant of it? Well, I mean, that's kind of like the philosophy of how I think, you know, I don't necessarily try and be granular with like full Kelly or half Kelly or quarter Kelly. Cause I know there are a lot of people that kind of try and get very specific with it. I would say that's more just like a philosophy of how I think about betting, which is just, you know, if I think I have an edge bet more, if I'm not sure bet less. Okay. One of your trades I saw, I think it was on the fed interest rates it looked as though you'd kind of spread your bets across multiple outcomes. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 So can you talk about maybe how you kind of structure some of these trades? Like feel free to use that example if you, if you like, I mean, how come you weren't all in on, on one, one outcome? Because I think about it as, you know, probability. So for instance, with the fed, the fed is, not a super great example because the Fed almost certainly telegraphs what they're going to do. And very, very, very rarely these days does the Fed surprise. But, you know, let's say there's a 5% chance of a surprise either. Let's say everybody expects 50 basis points. And I think there's a 5% chance that'll either be 25 or 
75. Well, if 75 is trading at 1% or 25 is trading at 1%, then I'd probably be willing to bet on that just because I think, well, you know, it's extremely unlikely to happen, but the odds are probably 2%, not 1%. So to answer your question, to get back to your question, I, w- I wouldn't be afraid to, betting on, to be betting on both sides. So for instance, I would say, okay, this is extremely likely to be 50, but I'm willing to bet both on 25 and on 75. So I'll structure my bets, you know, around what I think has an edge. To use a different example that I just bet on, um, the CPI inflation print in the U.S. just came out, I think, last Wednesday. Um, And I had structured my bet to where I think the consensus was 0.2, and I thought 0.2 was priced too high. I'd, I'd researched it quite a bit. And I had structured the bet to where I would make a little bit if it was 0.2, I would make a little bit more if it was 0.3, and I would make a lot if it was 0.4. And it ended up being, you know, 0.33, which rounded down to 0.3, which was really close to 0.4. So it, it, I just narrowly missed the big win. But yeah, so I, so I had structured the bet to where I'd kind of created bands for myself so that the outcome would be what I was trying to bet on. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Um, how many trades do you place over, I don't know, let's say the course of a month or, or something like that? I'm just trying to gauge like how active you are on the trading side. Like from what I, it sounds as like, it sounds as though the majority of your time is probably dedicated to research. Yeah. How many trades like are you, are you trading like, you know, more than 10 times a day or 10 times a week? Uh, yeah, I would say probably a few thousand trades a month at least. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. So it's so it's not just you know I'm 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 betting on quite a lot of markets all at once. So something could change about five different markets today, you know, and I'm trading each of those five markets based on that new information in each of them. And let's just say you know one of those markets, one of those events. Are you trading in and out of that or do you normally just, you know, one event is one trade? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it depends. Uh, oftentimes I'll trade in and out. Sometimes I'll just keep growing and growing and growing my position. Sometimes I already have a big position and I'm trying to draw it down. So it, it, it just depends. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all sorts of things. Okay. Now, just before we close this out here, um, I don't know if you've had a chance to I uh, think of uh, one of the most uh, one of the strangest events that you've uh, bet on. Yeah, so the one that I remember is whether Britney Spears would be let out of her conservatorship or not. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, and that that ended up being like a really big deal in the media. Um, a lot of people were following the trial and stuff like that, and so. I really, really, really delved into it. In fact, I was kind of, I was kind of annoying my wife because I was watching (laughs) like Britney Spears documentaries. I had downloaded so many California court cases and I was like reading through these like conservatorship laws. You know, I like to think like if I'm really researching a topic, like I'm probably like the top 100 most knowledgeable people on conservatorship laws, you know, in California at that point. Um, all that knowledge has since departed. But, you know, at the time that I was making the bet, I knew every in and out of that of that case and and, and the law. 
And um, yeah, I'm, I, I ended up making a lot of money on that one. <laughs> how many, do you have any idea like how many hours of research you would have put into that, that trade? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, probably, probably around a hundred. Okay. Hundred, maybe maybe two hundred. Yeah. Okay. Uh, are you comfortable talking about how much you uh, made on that trade? I think around ten thousand dollars. So I'm not sure. <laughs> now that I'm now that I'm comparing the ten thousand dollars to the how many hours I spent, I'm not sure if that quite was worth it. But I think there's another element to it where you know it's a lot of fun too. Uh, I think that's that's really that's awesome. Yeah. Just some parting words of wisdom here. For anyone entering into prediction markets, what are some common mistakes that the less experienced um, fall into? Ooh, okay. I mean, there's a lot of them. Uh, you already touched on one, which is kind of like letting your biases take over and kind of just betting on what you want to happen rather than what you think would happen. I think that's the most common one. The second most common one would be not really understanding your bankroll and not really understanding sizing and betting too much on something you're not too familiar with. So I think if you're, if you're new to this and let's say you put a hundred bucks into it, you know, I would focus on trying to find 10 markets where you think you have an edge and bet $10 on each of them, just as an example. So you can kind of test out your theories without as I did when I first started playing poker, blew a hundred bucks within an hour. So you want to make sure that you kind of get the full experience and figure out if you're, if you actually have an edge or not, because one thing, if you're, if you just join and you blow a hundred bucks on something and then you quit, it could be that you're actually very good at it and you got unlucky, you know? So it's kind of, you have to disentangle luck from skill and you have to figure that out along the way. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. All right, Doma, I'm going to let you go and enjoy your evening. Um, I want to say I've, I've really enjoyed this uh, conversation. I'm going to I don't know, have a closer look at prediction markets myself. <laughs> cool. Certainly right. not going to be throwing myself in there full time, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you've, uh, you've got me curious just to, just to have a little dig. <laughs> yeah, they're a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, greatly appreciate you coming on and sharing uh, your wisdom with us. Um, if someone wants to find out more about you uh, and find you online, uh, I think you're on Twitter. I'm not sure if you're anywhere else. Um, do you want to give out your handle? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit quiet and secretive, but uh, I, I am on Twitter. I don't tweet all that much, uh, but my Twitter account is D-O-M-A and then four H's. Doma. Cool. All right, man. Well, I will pop that in the show notes so uh, anyone can find that and uh, a few other links for relevant things that we've discussed at chatwithtraders.com slash 234. Uh, this is episode 234. Domo, once again, thank you very much for doing this and uh, I'd, I'd like to chat with you again at some point. Yeah, a lot of fun. Thanks, man. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders. But rest assured, there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes. And we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.